The Pat Kenny Show. With the Jaguar E-Pace. Beautiful by design and dynamic to drive. Delivering performance that is unmistakably Jaguar. This is News Talk. Now, this text, when you have two groups of road users so polar opposite in their views, you'll always have conflict between them. One group, motorists, are insured, registered and easily identified by registration plates. If they're seen driving dangerously or breaking the lights, they can be reported to the authorities. The second group, cyclists, have no insurance, no registration, not easily identified when they breach road regulations. And because of this, they regularly do break the lights, regularly cycle dangerously, never stay at the scene of a traffic incident when they are at fault, never want to give their details. Is it anyone wonder that motorists are so frustrated with cyclists. It makes my blood boil when I hear the likes of Eamon Ryan pontificate about how we should all get along. Until cyclists are held to the same standard as motorists, there'll always be conflict. Uh, another one, why can't they extend the Liffey boardwalk to Houston and be used by cyclists as Tony and Ballyhonus? Uh, mandatory visibility and insurance and registration numbers for cyclists, says another. But Owen Cork says, just back from Amsterdam, a million bikes, no helmets, no high vis. And uh, another one saying that we should build high-rise in the centre of the city so people don't have to commute, and that would solve the problem. A cyclist is with me. He yeah. is called Pete Wedderburn, Pete the Vet, and you're always high-vised. You, you have to be, really. You're very, very aware, especially in the wintertime, of the relatively low light conditions and the poor road conditions, and it's dangerous out there, so it just makes sense as a cyclist to do everything Self-preservation. Possible. Yeah, absolutely. Look after yeah. yourself. Now, you're talking about dog walkers, mm. dog owners, and their dogs, who are equally invisible sometimes in the the evenings and the early mornings. Yes, I mean, I think that most people who, who walk regularly beside the road have copped on to the fact that they have to be high visibility. And you see people with, you know, holding torches or wearing bright colours or whatever. But what people often don't realise is that their dogs, it's equally important to make sure that their dogs are visible because a dog at the end of a leash can be very unexpected for a passing driver, especially a black or a dark dog. Um, and so I, I've directly been involved with two situations where dogs were hit by cars as they drove past people walking their dogs beside the road. In one case, um, the dog saw a cat cross the road and darted towards it and got, got hit by the car on the head and suffered a serious jaw injury. And, and the other really, really sad case, the dog was actually killed at the end of the leash. Again, the owner didn't didn't have as tight control on the dog as they thought. The dog just moved into the road. The driver was, was too close to the pavement and poof, it was all over. Um, you also recommend against using extender leashes, those ones that have a little button that allows you to extend or retract I, uh, I, the lead. Yeah, I don't like those at all because they are actually are often very hard to control and um, often the, the, the cord that attaches to the dog is quite fine and digs into your fingers. So if a dog darts suddenly, it can just be off and it can be gone like three or four metres from you, just like that. Very so dangerous. There are coats for dogs and yeah. there are lights for dogs, collars yeah. with lights in them. High vis stuff, just like for humans, um, and it's not expensive. So bright yellow, orange colours, um, strips built into them, like reflective strips for cyclists, as well as that, the lights. Um, so so um, lights in the jacket, but also lights on the collar. And the lights on the collar are particularly useful, first of all, so passing drivers can see them easily but also if you ever exercise your dog in the park on a dark morning or dark evening um, normally if your dog doesn't have a light on them once they've gone more than 10 yards you can't, from see, you, you can't see them at all where are they gone um, and so um, with a little light on them you can spot them all the time and it's really now, useful wh- what about your cat and letting your cat out because 
Mm. I think that's. I think it's very important as well to to realise that um, cats are free ranging, and that means that they do go close to roads often. And again, they can't be seen, so it's very dangerous. We see lots of cats that are hit by cars in the autumn winter months. Um, so. Um, you can get high-vis collars for cats, and they help a bit. But I'd even be saying to people, look, just bring your cat in in the evenings. Bring yeah. your cat in after dark. You can actually get cat flaps nowadays, electronic cat flaps that, that pick up in your cat's microchips so they don't let other cats in. But also you can set them on a timer so they let your cat in at certain times and out at certain times. So you can you can actually control your cat's movements in this way. All right. Um, uh some of the questions coming in. My golden retriever has foul-smelling breath. She has wet food rather than dry. She won't eat the dry food, consisting of a daily pate sashes and sardines. We also give her some potatoes and a daily apple. She's 13 years old. What can we do about her bad breath from... Uh, Monaghan, Pete in Monaghan, from Moya in Monaghan for Pete. What an exotic diet this lucky dog mm. has. Mm. Um, well, the first thing with any dog with halitosis is to get get going with your nose and sniff around the dog's head and find out where the smell is coming from. Sometimes it actually comes from a lip fold, which can get infected. Other times it can come from teeth and gums, which have got buildup of tartar and, and periodontal disease. And other times it's from the stomach, so it's actually in the dog's breath itself. So examine the dog very carefully to find out where the smell is coming from. If it is indeed from the from the stomach, then the first thing to do is to change the diet. What you're feeding, things like sardines and mixed with potatoes, you know, that's that's going to produce a fairly fairly mm-hmm. strong stench when it digests. So I would look at reviewing that and trying something blander, like maybe some cooked chicken um, or or even going for, a, for, for an older dog like that. I'd suggest one of the geriatric or senior type diets that have got um, nutrients that are more appropriate to that dog age. Uh, my small dog, uh, Terrier, has a small lump-like mould on her paw. She keeps licking it. That's from Tommy and Bray. Well, Tommy, that sounds like it may well be something called a lick granuloma, which is basically a little irritation starts off, then dog starts to nibble it. By nibbling it, they cause it to become infected and thickened and itchy, and it just carries on and on and on forever. So you really need to cover it up so the dog can't get at it at all. Sometimes you have to use a plastic Elizabethan-type collar so they can't, they just literally can't lick it. And often they also have to go into quite a long course of antibiotics to clear up the infection. If it is bothering your dog, it really is one you do need to talk to your vet about. They can be really complex. I have a Great Dane who's five, a boxer who's 11. The boxer has always been the alpha of their little pack, but the boys had a disagreement last week and the roles seem to have changed. Butch the boxer is depressed and not himself since he found himself as the beta for the first time. I don't know what to do to try and reinforce that he is still loved, but it just doesn't seem to work. I'm contemplating getting another Great Dane to keep Odin company and will be big enough to play with him and uh, taking Butch into the house and taking him into work because he's getting on in life. Is this the right thing to do or not I'm at a loss from John and Westmeath well, John, this is really tricky. Whenever you get involved in dog social lives, you can actually end up causing more bother than solving problems. Um, yes, your boxer, Butch, he probably is. He's 11 now. He's a bit slower, a bit more doddery, less able to stand up to the young big dog. Um, but you getting involved and, 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 and poking a new dog there, you could actually make things more complicated by, by doing that. I'd be more likely to say to you, look, just just make sure each dog's got its own space uh, and its own areas where it can be on its own and secure. Uh, remove sources of obvious, I suppose, conflict, like um, don't feed them right beside each other and um, be aware that when visitors come and when the, 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 the attitude in the house is generally a little bit um, more upbeat, more excited, then maybe more likely to be a fight then. So be aware of conflict times and usually you can manage it in that way.
Yeah. Um, when that flips like that, um, will mm. he get over his humiliation, do you think? Oh, yeah, it's, it's a social adjustment. And at times of social adjustment, animals often do seem to be a little bit down. People often notice that when they pick up their dogs from boarding kennels, the dog's quite quiet for about a week. That's because they're adjusting to the new environment mm. of being back home again. And the same thing applies here. There's been a bit of a shake-up in this dog's life, and it's going to just take a little while to, 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 to learn to, to accept that as a new reality. But it's not a long-term problem. All right, uh, Pete, thank you very much for uh, answering your pet questions. Uh, Pete Wedderburn, Pete the Vet. 